as we come to Ephesians, we, I've titled the sermon, A Roadmap to Church Unity, and I've pivoted somewhat from what I wanted to do in application, at least how far I think I could get. We still will spend 20 minutes at the end of my, of my uh, first portion of my sermon in order to apply the things that are in the text here. And we could say much more. Don't fault me on what I'm able to do in one session. But as an overview, the first part of the sermon, I I want to uh, unpack yet again, but in a different way, verses one through three. And I call this a good defense of the unity of the spirit. And then I want to move to verses 12 and following and talk about second story unity, that is the unity of the faith. Uh, And those are the two unities that are in this text. And then our our application will be based upon the first of those two. But first, we need to look in the scriptures. And so cast your eyes on verses one through three, just so it's extremely fresh in your mind. I read, therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, zealous or eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. For context and for clarity, in this chapter, this verse 1 through 3 really colors all of what is said through verse 16 and beyond, he, he never really takes it out of his mind what we are called to. S- simply the exhortation to live worthy of our Christian calling. Each and every one of us have been called to Christ and must have a life that bears out uh, worthy fruit of that reality. <clears throat> In another way, we say it. We're to give God the glory in all things. That's really what is at the forefront here. But this is a vast and sweeping category. It includes our whole lives, in fact. All that we think, all that we do. So naturally, we ask, how is this done? How do we live worthy of Christ, of God the Father, through the Spirit? And the answer here for accomplishing this command is given simply by uh, the call to maintain the unity of the Spirit, okay? And, and we talked about what that means specifically. We, we could say living in the Spirit according to the Word simply, or as we've talked about theologically, we are united to Christ and therefore to one another. That's what it means to be in the spirit here. Or yet again, in another way, looking at the virtues that are said, um, we are told that we're to be humble and gentle. We are to have patience and forbearing. All these things done in love. That is to live worthy. That is to put on those Christian virtues by the Spirit. And the opposite of that would, of course, be to live 
in the sinful desires of our flesh, envy, pride, jealousy, uh, acting out sinfully contrary to the gospel in any particular way. That, that would be to live in the flesh rather than in the unity of the spirit. The way he says it is different than maybe we like to say it often. We, we're, we're talking about our participation uh, in something larger than us. And so he makes the terminology corporate. We say we live in the spirit. <laughs> you know, that's how we would personalize this. <clears throat> but he's talking about on a um, individual level that works it out into a church-wide sphere. So Paul explains if we are to live in the unity of the spirit as simply by faith in Christ in these ways, then the result and the goal of these things is that we would have a peaceful Christian society, the church, peaceful Christian society, the bond of peace and the unity of the spirit. So we are to be harmonious here in the church in our actions and our thoughts and all of those things. And Paul adds a wonderful little phrase here, which is addressing how much effort are we to put in this category? <clears throat> we think of all sorts of things that we put effort into as, you know, newly apparent of, of our fourth. I'm, I'm keenly aware of the effort that needs to go into our household. And, and so our attention is directed there. But as we are in this scripture, thinking about the unity of the spirit that we participate in individually and together, what kind of attention does that deserve? Well, <clears throat> he uses here in this text uh, 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 a word, spudazzo. It, it means eagerly or zealously. It's talking about an intense sort of passion to, to do something. He, he here says that we are supposed to be with great energy trying to keep the unity that we have in Christ by the Spirit. God and keep, you'll know in the, in the Bible that sometimes it says keep. We could say maybe maintain. We could also say defend. Okay, we, this, is, this is something we are to guard. We're, we're by God's commands to guard the peace that we have in Christ. That's the kind of energy, zealously. And so it should be high on the level of importance as a, a broad general char- uh, character for how we live out our life in relation to the body, defending what we have together. I, I want to say one other further word to define the kind of peace we have. Because when we say the, the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, although I've tried to d- define that for you pretty well, <clears throat> the bond of peace s- to me, and I feel like to you potentially, can come out as like a vague notion that is like a dream that kind of flies away when you wake up in the morning. You're like, I know I had dreams, but I don't remember what they are. And if we, if we don't define this just a little bit more, it might do that to you, just, just pass away out of sight. And, and so I want to define it a little bit more uh, clearly. 
But I also want to mention the fact that I can't also make an airtight definition that exhausts the reality here. Uh, This thing that we have in Christ by the Spirit is like the Trinity. There is things that we must say and do know, yet because the Trinity himself, we're talking about the Spirit of God, we, we don't um, experience the, the fullness of the Spirit. We don't exhaust what it means to know God. And there, because we're creatures, is at some point infinite drop-off into mystery. There's, there's a huge gap between creature and our ability to think about God and who he fully is. And so there's a point in which I can't define it any further for you. But all that we can say, I'm, I'm just trying to say right now, in short, so you, you understand what this unity we have in Christ is. Let me say it this way. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence in us, personally and corporately, and he has effectually united us to the resurrected Christ. And because we have all been united to Christ, we are therefore, spiritually speaking, and sort of mysteriously, bonded together in a way that is permanent. And that relationship that we have consists in peace. That's why it's called the bond of peace. And the reason it's called peace or the the bond of peace is because peace is the natural product of the spirit. It's the fruit of the spirit. It is the thing that is born in us. It's as it were a byproduct of our union with Christ. (laughs) Uh, I've been in winemaking lately and uh, not very good at it yet. But uh, yeast acting on sugars, the natural byproduct is alcohol. It's a really simple formula. And in the same way, the spirit resident in us and in our, our faith in Christ, the natural byproduct is among the believers is peace, a, a relationship whereby we steward harmony with one another. <clears throat> no divisions, no dissensions etc. Now, some skeptic, or maybe a Christian who's been in some um, bad situations might be jaded on, on this point, and I can hear them in my mind saying, well, why then all the divisions among churches? Why do they split? Why um, are there so many different denominations, etc., etc., whatever division you might want to throw in there? And there are many appropriate answers to this, uh, though this isn't the main thing I want to unpack for you today. I'll answer one in long form, okay, and that'll be the bulk majority of what I say. But the the first and simple answer is implied in the, the text here itself. We should say that Christians can live contrary to who they are. Christians can live contrary to their duty and the inclinations of the spirit within them at times. 
They, they can sin. Unfortunately, we, we can, in this war against the world, the flesh, and the devil, we can all too easily succumb to the sin nature that is within us. And so instead of defending the union that we have, sometimes we raise arms and train them and send friendly fire across the bow, as it were. Lord, do not let this behavior uh, be in our midst. And, and thankfully, it, it has not been in the recent past. <clears throat> but our solution to this is not that we would lay down arms, but rather we would retrain our weapons of warfare against the devil and sin itself. Christians are to hear this call. Our, our call is not to stop fighting, but rather to, to fight the right opponent. Good Christians defend our peace against all enemies without and within with unwavering zeal. This zeal is produced by the Spirit through faith in the risen, ascended, and reigning Christ. Defend it. Fight for it. Keep it. Maintain it. And peace will happen. It'll be the natural outflow. Now, I haven't defined exactly how to do that. He's given you five different commands to do so. You can go to last sermon if you didn't hear it. But what I want to do now is transition to the second bit of our unity. So he said unity of the spirit. And now uh, in verse 12 and following. So the end of 11 says there's uh, two different offices of pastor, really, or elder. You could say there's shepherds. That is a a ruling and an overseeing, a guiding um, and a teaching We'll put these in two offices as we look at the scriptures. So the pastoral office is given to equip the saints for your work of ministry. Okay, so that's what we focused on last time. <clears throat> but what I really want to do is to look at the, the goal here, which we touched on, but I want to unpack further. The goal of the saints' ministry, not the pastoral office. This has nothing to do with us at this point. It doesn't have to do with the diaconate. What it has to do is with the the individual members of the church. And in some ways, you could sort of consider this as a general office. You all have a Christian calling, and therefore you all have Christian responsibilities. And toward the church, it is for its building up. And the ministry that is, is given to you has a particular... Goal And here it's one major goal that's expounded. And that is the, the promotion of Christian maturity. Like we said last week, not a snazzy band, not flashy programs. Christian maturity, godliness in every member. And that godliness actually going to work in our midst. Doing things toward one another, seen or unseen. So, Christian maturity, as it consists in verse 13, well, let let us just look there, just so it's here in our ears. So, building up of the body of Christ by the ministry of the saints is until we all attain to the unity of the faith and such and so forth. He explains that 
in a number of of different ways. But what I want you to notice, because I'm I'm making a, a distinction. I think some commentators in the past have erred on this or not really explained it very well. <clears throat> some of the more modern ones have, but there is a, a valid and proper distinction to have between unity of the spirit and unity of the faith. And you see that very clearly in the verbs that are used to describe them. So in verse three, the unity of the spirit is something which we already have. And therefore the call and the command is to guard it, maintain it. Why? Well, because you have it and now you have to make sure it stays intact, stays together. It is stabilized, and such and so forth. However, in verse 13, the building up of the body of Christ is until we, such a good translation here, all attain, attain to the unity of the faith. That means some may have it, some may not. It means that this is a future reality, potentially for us in a local congregation. And in fact, as a church, as this applies to the church universal, that is the case. We haven't attained to it. Um, we are not monolithic in the proper sense that that, that would work itself out. <clears throat> and so therefore, this, even by the terminology that's used and the commands that we're thinking about, is that one is a reality we have, unity of the Spirit, and it's for the goal of gaining a unity of the faith so that we might be united in this second realm. And so in one sense, it's like two stories of a house. Uh, The unity of the faith is a great and glorious thing, but you can't start by building the second story upon nothing. It, it, It starts by securing and fixing the unity of the spirit that we have together. And that's with our actions towards one another. And then that second story comes as we work toward it over time. Okay, so these are the two stories. And it's plainly obvious that you can't have the second without first stabilizing stabilizing the first. I'm not saying that they can't be built together or whatever. But um, in the picture, as it were, that I'm giving you, the first unity really informs and, and helps us do the second unity. But, but what is unity of the faith exactly? Paul uses a number of different phrases uh, to define what he means, but I particularly like the verbiage in, in 14, although that's negative. I think it's particularly helpful. Verse 14 says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. And he says more than that. That's a negative statement, but we can positivize it. That means make it positive by saying, well, the unity of the faith is positively about Christian maturity and specifically like-mindedness concerning doctrine. It's having a consistent doctrinal standard, understanding, expression, whatever. It's, it's that thing that happens over time. 
with us in terms of what we believe. <clears throat> now, some of that, of course, you couldn't have a Christian church unless there are some foundational things that we can build on. Uh, but that's not the end point. That's the starting point. Uh, this is focused on a doctrinal unity that is still yet to be attained in this congregation, let alone in, in so many, maybe most. But the assumption here about unity of the faith, like-mindedness concerning our understanding of what the Christian message is and its fullness, the assumption is that the unity that is here is objective and true. <laughs> um, it, it wouldn't matter if we could all agree about something regarding what the scriptures say and we're all wrong about it. <laughs> That's not the kind of unity of the faith he's talking about. There are whole denominations that are, are, are united upon principles that are not even scriptural. So that's not the kind of unity he's talking about. He's talking about actually believing the truth as God intended it, which, since we are in progress, is always a work for us. In other words, if we think about the fully mature congregation in the Lord, um, the full maturity here is that that church would understand and teach the faith as the Spirit inspired it. The Spirit would go, that's exactly what I mean. If he's going to add more words to the canon, which he won't. <laughs> um, and in light of that, we ask again, and this is my second answer to the question, why all the divisions? So why all the divisions? Well, it's pretty clear from this vantage point that <clears throat> not only can sin unnaturally break us apart and cause us to divide, uh, messing up the unity of the spirit. That's true. But also we can mess up the unity of the faith, which is a second kind of unity. And it's harder than the first. And that's why. Uh, in other words, theologically, we understand that the fall of mankind, Adam and Eve's fall into sin caused not only a, a brokenness of, of relationship between God and man, you can see that broken in his moral exercises, but his mind, as we read, has become futile in verse 18. The terminology that all the theologians use is uh, based upon the Greek word naos, just meaning mind, the noetic Effects of the fall. The effects of the fall in your mind. Noetic effects of the fall. <clears throat> and so if I use that terminology, that's, that's what it refers to. But <clears throat> in verse 18, we could say it this way as a sort of catchy, hopefully, way to say it. Our, our rationality after the fall has lost its senses. <laughs> our rationality is senseless or uh, lost its mind falling into uselessness and depravity. That's, that's the estate of all mankind because of the fall. So our, our minds have been affected greatly. And what is so glorious is that a major emphasis or, or a major piece of our salvation is the renewing work of the Spirit of God on our minds. Such that we can think 
more like the new humanity that is created in the likeness of Christ Jesus. We have divisions in doctrine because our minds need sanctification. If they were fully sanctified, there'd be no divisions. We would all see clearly as we ought to. That's in fact why I like to make the joke. I love R.C. Sproul and my other Presbyterian brothers. And I say, now they're Baptists. <laughs> Since they've been glorified, they've gone to heaven. Uh, they, they know better now what, what I was trying to tell them all along. <laughs> uh, we joke like that because our mind will be fully intact and think correctly as it is. And, and therefore, what happens now in this life is we don't remain simpletons. If we do, that's bad. In fact, here, although children are commended, childlike faith in other places of the scripture, it is clear that the spirit intends to progressively illuminate us, cause us to be wise, sages even, in the things of the scripture. We might express ourselves simply, and clearly, succinctly, but nonetheless, we are to attain to the mind of Christ. You know that he's a human too, right? So we are to think like Jesus in that manner. That is actually the goal of humanity, to, to think exactly like Christ Jesus. And so this is an ongoing work in us, and darn it, it's hard. And so... We ought to be very patient with each other uh, and maintain the unity of the spirit as we wrestle through the difficulties of the faith. Because some of the things that we must come to conclusions are aren't as easy as, as some of the other things. <clears throat> so as I uh, let me give you a little pastoral assessment of our, our current congregation uh, so that you might know where we, where we are members here and hopefully those who, who listen um, in initially, I really wanted to aim at the unity of the faith and talk about how to do that um, for this next 20 minutes. But <clears throat> I've come to realize that in 2024, we do have a real opportunity to greatly stabilize our unity in the spirit. We have a, a uh, good unity of the faith at least in general, and I think a good trajectory, but that one's harder and takes longer, so I don't think you should sweat about it too much now. All the foundational things are laid. <clears throat> but what can you set your heart on in 2024? What can you be about and doing? Well, I would call you to promote, defend, and work on the unity of the Spirit, as I've so articulated it here, <clears throat> as... Um, we go forward. And for the remainder of the sermon, what I want to do is sketch out a road map, and I'm going to use road, race, GPS analogy for seven points that I've derived from 13 through 16 <clears throat> theologically and try to help you work these things out practically. Um, my wife asked me last night as we were talking about what, what sermon was going to be about. She's like, how do you think our church grades? I'm like, I think it's doing well, but I guess what I'm focused on here is I, I'm not trying to, um, this, this is not a, a sermon where I'm intending to say specific things um, 
to us in terms of things we've done wrong. Okay, so just make that clear. What I'm what I'm thinking about is places that I I think both directly here in Scripture, as well as in our our local context. I'm trying to say I I see areas of growth that I I think we can if we steward well we could be um, maybe one of the healthiest churches I've ever been in. But <clears throat> so I'm I'm not. Um, say anything negative i'm just trying to point us towards 2024 in light of this text and and building and fostering a thick unity of the spirit okay so just a word of of uh, qualification now these seven points are from verse 13 to 16 i'll lay them out one by one first in verse 13 uh your destination is on the map your destination is on the map. You, you know what he says there. We've looked at it. Until we attain, all attain to the unity of the faith. I'm harping on this. God, God has laid out, I think even here by way of promise, where the whole thing is going. Where's the church going? Well, unity of the faith. Not just a local congregation, though that is the case. Hopefully that's the case. But also as a corporate body. And this is a, a promise for our future Thus, we can say that the sure will of God tells us what our our final landing destination is. And therefore, what we can do is line up our practical goals to that end, to hit that mark, that target, that destination, and to plan accordingly. And so I just ask, do your personal life goals Reflect this. Does it reflect the actions you're taking towards, as we're talking about our ministry to the church? Does it line up with your ministry to the church? Now, I'll say that unity, as it's been defined here, and I think all definitions contain, is it's a relational reality which requires consistency. Okay, so your plans in 2024 should be togetherness. Togetherness in, in every area. We specifically in this church pro, try to program as little as possible. And so <clears throat> togetherness looks like being together in Sunday school, in corporate worship, every week, barring maybe a couple hunting weeks or a vacation week, but we really shouldn't be gone. We shouldn't miss once a month. We really shouldn't. Mostly. We should be here every Sunday and Lord willing, if there's something else uh, somewhat out of the ordinary, we can do that too. Of, of course, there's, um, don't, don't take me the wrong way there. And some of you in my last exhortation really took hold of this. I commend you. Thank you. Uh, but I think this is an area that needs special attention from this church because <clears throat> without the glue of, of being together, you know, we think about quality time or, or you really can't get um, quality relationship, quality um, um, cohesion uh, and, and real peace without 
lots of quantity time. One begets the other. You, you need one foundationally. As we do catechism with our children, we do it five, six days a week. And the foundation of catechism is question and answer memorization. That, that's just the base level. And then we fill it out through, through continual study and question and answer such that uh, a little child can understand what the uh, what effectual calling is, right? And so um, this is the the foundation of all of our uh, work together. It, it won't be effective. And in, in fact, I would say that a church like us in the situation we are will fall apart, die, cease to be, without togetherness uh, that takes more work than a church down the street usually okay so if you have to drive a long way the commitment is high Um, and for this fact and i think it's right that our programs happen on a sunday and and then maybe one other time in the week Uh, but that also includes for for um not being able to get together on some of those days to be flexible as a church, to bend and to change things as, as we go along, and then also to be together. So if you can't make prayer night on Thursday, well, maybe you'd suggest another time and everybody else could meet at that time too. And if not, then maybe you could figure out all the people in your area or who's closest to you another night to do that. Togetherness in prayer, togetherness in uh, the corporate worship, togetherness in those things outside of what we do on uh, any program church event, uh, maybe serving uh, a homeless ministry together or uh, serving the community by, uh, by going and, and um, you know, running for office for city council or something like that, or um, preaching, the, uh, sharing the gospel with somebody. That's the first thing. <clears throat> Our destination is on the map. But the destination is all relational, and so it includes togetherness. It's sort of a foundation and goal. These things are, have to be held together. Secondly, be prepared for rerouting. Uh, you all know that experience. You've passed your turn, and Siri says, <laughs> you have to go turn around and make a UE at the next light. Be prepared for rerouting. This is implied in verse 13 and following, until we all attain to this, meaning we haven't. Uh, And so, therefore, as we work hard to attain to the unity of the faith, and we work in hard obedience towards one another, and and we haven't perfectly kept the unity of the Spirit, we are sort of children that move into adulthood, what we have to be prepared for is course corrections along the way because we're going to get off course a little bit and have to redirect slightly so that we hit the right target. Our, our GPS is the scripture itself, of course. The preaching of the word are speaking the scripture to one another in whatever way that comes. Um, but as the direction comes from the word itself, often because we're talking about the ministry of the individual believers to one another, the GPS voice that you hear is Lori or Ryan or it's somebody in the body saying, hey, course correct, course correct. You need to change that. Um, 
and they do so in love. Our, our, our plot is on the map is from Scripture itself, <clears throat> but we need each other to get the course right. So be prepared for rerouting. Secondly, these are both based upon verse 15. Drive the truth car. Drive the truth car. Most commentaries on verse 15 have a longer note on one particular word, alethuntas, alethuntes, really, in this section, um, which is speaking the truth or um, I think the NET translator note suggests a translating uh, translation, which is helpful because there's kind of like a double meaning. You know, obviously the Apostle Paul didn't speak English. And so sometimes he gives us words that don't fit very nicely in English. This is one of those. And, and it, it means, uh, or it really means being truthful in love, being truthful in love. That's the first sort of connotation, which helps us understand that this is in reference to how we live. We live with reference to the truth of God's word. If I were to keep it in our our analogy, I'd just say, start the car of truth and drive it. Let Let what you believe and what the scripture says, let the rubber hit the road of your life. <clears throat> if we can say what the Bible says, that's only half the battle. The other half, which sometimes the Bible says something very simple, but the other half is more difficult, like actually doing it. <laughs> I know this, but the, and that's easy. <laughs> it's not hard. The doing it's hard. And, and that's where the exhortation is here. Drive the car of truth. Live it out. Secondly, on this point, the ESV, this is how I memorize it, speaking the truth in love, is the other nuance. It, it does mean being truthful, not only in our conduct on the one hand, but also in our words on the other hand. So the, the church is built up and attains to the unity of the spirit and the unity of the faith both of these, through our communicating the truth. Through our communicating the truth, the church is built up. I, I don't know if you've ever pondered as to why. Why has God ordained that the ch- church would grow as a result of your speaking? Now, the answer should be, be straightforward to us. God himself speaks to us for the purpose of all of our life, that we might know how to live it, and our salvation. It it really follows that we as his image-bearing servants would likewise reflect him in our speech. We speak words of life, speak words of truth. Obviously, we're not the source of those in the sense that we can impart life. (laughs) We can't tell the dead to rise, and they'll do it. However, uh, we reflect God's word. We speak God's word and, and life comes. Salvation comes. Um, sanctification comes. This is how the church is built up. So the best course for us in 2024 is to drive, is to find honest road and drive on it. 
Find road honest and drive on it. I'm sure you felt like myself either here or in another place, whether in your own life or in the church, as if you really wanted to tell somebody something, but you, you just didn't know if that would send them running away. I didn't know if, if that would cause somebody to maybe not have fellowship anymore, as if they could handle it. My, my desire, because it's so common in our church experience, my desire is that the unity of the Spirit which as a, a, you know, a, a definition towards what he calls out as necessary, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, um, humility, all in love. Those are aimed at what I'm talking about. Namely, <clears throat> that there are hard things that we have to say to one another over the course of time. That should be expected. I feel like we all expect that. However, we can so often feel as if, like, if I'm honest here, it might not go so well. I don't know if they'll stick around. It would be, I think, a fulfillment of the unity of the Spirit to live in such a place, at least with the core uh, group of believers here, to have such a culture of honesty that, that we could really have that as like a really distant back burner kind of concern. It would only be a concern because we love the person and we want to be gentle. We, we want to care about them. We actually are for their good. And, and if you were to say anything hard, they actually know that you're full of love for them. But this takes place through time on task and in having to forgive. If you haven't had to forgive a particular person or haven't had to extend that grace, <clears throat> then, then honesty can't uh, flourish like, like a flower. Uh, the, it really springs from this unity of the spirit in action towards one another. And so find the honest road and drive straight. Uh, if it pushes people away, well, make, just make sure that's not your intention and then you're all good. And be willing to say sorry if you've done something wrong. That's unity of the spirit. Number five, take the roundabout of open to reason. Now, I'm just using James 3 terminology. It goes without saying if it's unity of the faith is the end goal, okay? And it's facilitated by maintaining the unity of the spirit all along the way, then it is implied in this text, but also commanded explicitly in James 3 that we are to wisdom from God that we can possess is being open to reason, open to reason. So I, I think about it in our analogy as like going around a roundabout. Sometimes you have to go around and around and around on, on a particular thing and talk about it again and again. You're like, I thought we talked about this and somebody else needs to go around the circle so we can both take the right exit. This is what we need to do. Be open to reason, uh, open to deliberating, assessing, and weighing what is most, fa most faithful to scriptures, not what I brought into the conversation necessarily. This doesn't always mean that you need to be open to change your position. 
Uh, I'm not open to change my position about the Trinity. I'm not open to change my position about Reformed theology. But I will be able to articulate what somebody else says that, that, and, and know exactly what they mean by that. That's open to reason. That's open to dialogue with other thoughts. A whole sermon or two could unpack that. So just be open to reason as we move towards both unity of the faith along the path of unity of the spirit. <clears throat> Number six, lean on your race team. Okay, what you see in verse 16, let's just read it. Uh, Christ is the head and we are the body and we're held together with Christ. And then it says, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working co- properly or correctly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Two aspects of this. There's the picture of the body being joined together by ligaments or, or, or sometimes it's joints. They're, they're connected to one another. <clears throat> if we're going to keep our race analogy for you, it's like being on, on a, a race team. I'm just going to use various different pictures. like an off-road uh, team where it's you driving really fast and there's a co-pilot. You're leaning on him. There, there's an interconnectedness, a, a joinness that you need to have in order to do the race. Or in other types of races, there's the trail vehicle with teams that can replace the tires along the way. Or if you need to fill up, there's another crew, there's a pit crew, and they'll fill up your gas and do whatever they need to do, make minor adjustments so you can keep driving around the track. But it requires a team. It requires all of us and our various different parts. And and not everybody who's in the pit crew is is driving the car and, and vice versa. We need to lean on one another, lean on our race team. Lastly, And I think very importantly, verse 16 says that the body grows up when each of its parts are working properly. Implication in the other way, sometimes it doesn't work properly. (laughs) It's out of joint. It's in disrepair. So I say the repair shop is ready. Repair shop is ready. All of us will crash. It's, It's the nature of the race we run. Remember that the repair shop is there to fix us up and get us back on the race or in the race. And the gospel really is the answer to all this. We've in, uh, how do I say this? We, we have miserably crashed in sin. And it is Christ Jesus who has restored us onto the onto the right track and yet as we go we need constant maintenance and repair let let me leave off the analogy from this point <clears throat> jesus has paid for the po- full penalty of our sin and has given us a new life in him and one day in the future we will be granted immortality through the resurrection and 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 in that day we will fully be like Jesus in in all ways, our mind, our heart, our will will be immutably fixed towards righteousness, never never desiring sin whatsoever in thought, word, or deed ever again. However, in this corruptible body that we all possess currently, 
we are sadly still able to stumble and fall. But, but what we need to know is that the truth of the gospel, beloved, is that Christ by the Spirit is always there individually and really working through the body so that if we do stumble and fall, we have a hand or multiple hands to pick us up. If we get off course and crash into a wall, we have a repair shop that'll fix it. If we need a guide because we've lost our way, well, we, we have that in Christ Jesus. All of these things that we will encounter along the way are met by the gospel and what the gospel produces in us, the church. And so <clears throat> um, look to our God who is able to strengthen us for this task. And I, I pray again that you take one thing from the unity of the Spirit as you can think about it in relation to your own life and the scriptures, you take one thing and you go, that's what I'll put into practice. That's what I'll speak. And we need help doing that, so let us pray.